as we've been singing this morning about the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy and everything else, we're going to take a slightly different tack. Who's up for a bit of persecution? I haven't seen too many hands go up. Or I'm waiting for the room to clear when everyone goes, is that what I got up for early this morning? So we're going to move into Acts chapter 14. Um, I think Graham talked last week on Acts chapter 13. Um, And unfortunately, I wasn't here for that one, so I don't know what he said. So we'll just follow on anyway. Um, Persecution, we often hear people say to pray for the persecuted church. And we think, you know, that's churches in maybe Middle Eastern countries or China or places like that where they're really under intense persecution and they could, you know, they could even die for their faith. But I think when we look a bit closer to home, we might say, well, you know, we don't suffer that sort of persecution. We we can come here quite comfortably on a Sunday morning and not have to worry that, you know, somebody's going to arrest us or drag us out. But we can face persecution in other ways, whether it's, you know, in our workplace or, or you know, even just for our beliefs and for our faith, people can, can try and put us down or, you know, they can ridicule us or make life difficult. Maybe at your workplace you might find it's difficult when you stand up for your faith. You might um, face all sorts of opposition. And so we're going to look this morning at Acts chapter 14 and... We're going to look at the Paul and Barnabas and their perseverance through persecution. So if you just want to grab your Bible, we're just going to read through the chapter. So Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into this Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. There they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth 
and the sea and all that is in it. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconian, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples." As I was um, studying for this message, I actually came across a quote which I thought was really applicable to this passage. And it's by a guy called Roger Rice. I've got no idea who he is. But he said, persecution never stopped the church from going, growing. It usually got them going. At the end of chapter 13, we see that persecution and opposition came to Paul and Barnabas as they were as they were preaching in that city. And it sort of struck me when you read the in the last section there, or the last verse says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You would think that the after the experience of preaching the gospel and getting response, and now they're facing this opposition and this persecution, you'd think they'd be kind of discouraged, wouldn't you? They might take it a bit personally. They might say, you know, we've done something wrong here. Here this message was being accepted. And now we're being persecuted and we're being rejected. Did we do something wrong? Did we not preach the gospel the right way? Did we not pray enough that we got enough strength and that people turned? The exact opposite happened. They were actually happy to be able to pass through this persecution. They were happy that they'd filled the command of preaching the gospel, that they'd done what they'd been called to do in that city, and they realised that it wasn't up to them to actually get the results, that it was actually God to do the work. And I'm reminded when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said to them that, when they went into a city, if the city or the people wouldn't accept them, they were to shake the dust off their feet and just move on. Rejection is, for a Christian isn't something that should be surprising, as we're going to see later. Jesus would, was rejected. And if we're going to be faithful, and if we accept him, then we're going to face rejection like he did. 
So they went from that city in chapter 14 and they moved on to Iconium, which if you want a picture of where it is, it's sort of in the middle of modern-day Turkey. And they've just faced all this opposition. You think they might try and sneak into the city a little bit quieter and go, well, we'll sort of slip in under the radar here and we might not get the same thing. So they go into the synagogue and start preaching the gospel. But we see, you know, the story repeats itself, the opposition comes. And they face opposition and persecution in this city as well. And we're struck by the fact of this, that when we preach the gospel, the gospel, I believe, always causes division. And you might say, well, is the gospel divisive? No, the gospel just causes a division. We read here that here was a city that was divided. There were some who accepted the message and some who didn't. And the Jews in the synagogue stirred up some of the people so that they wouldn't accept the message for whatever reason, whether they didn't want their little little kingdom, so to speak, to be disrupted by this man coming in preaching this gospel. But when the gospel message is preached, there's always a response that has to be made to it. And it's either accepted or rejected. You can't just sit on the fence with it. You can't just say, well, yeah, maybe, I'm going to just wait and see. By not accepting something, you're actually rejecting it. And I'm reminded of, if you remember further in Acts, where this King Agrippa that was preached to, and he said, you know, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Well, I don't think he became an almost Christian. He was either a Christian or he wasn't. He either accepted it or he rejected it. So the gospel causes a division in the fact that people will either accept it or reject it. And Jesus actually said that that was what was going to happen. If we read Luke chapter 12, verses 51 to 53... Jesus said, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus, I don't believe, is teaching here that he came to create division, as in he was going to be divisive and cause division in that way. But his teachings, and therefore the gospel, he's saying, will create divisions in families and throughout society because it will expose people's hearts as to whether they will accept or reject the gospel. So the gospel when it's presented, exposes the true hearts of people as to whether they'll accept or reject it. People, when they reject, are not rejecting us when we preach the gospel. They're rejecting Jesus. And those who share the gospel should expect to encounter hostility from those who reject their message. Opposition doesn't mean that we're 
doing things wrong. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Often it's the evidence that we're doing things right. If we allow ourselves to be deterred from doing anything unless we have complete approval, it's certain that we'll never accomplish anything of value. So when we're called to preach the word or called to go forward with a message like Paul and Barnabas were here, they didn't worry about what the people they were preaching to thought. They said, no, we're called to give the gospel. We're going to preach it faithfully. We're not going to water it down because all of a sudden we faced opposition there. So if we make it a bit more palatable when we go into Iconium, you know, maybe we won't get quite so hard a time. No, they just said we're going to preach the word faithfully. This is what we've been called to do. Rather than be discouraged by opposition, we should take comfort in God's faithfulness and keep on doing what's right. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. They rejoiced. And then they moved on and kept going. So with the gospel causing division... The follow-on from that would be that persecution really is inevitable. With division comes hatred and persecution. And I think we're seeing that probably more and more today in our culture, um, particularly with the whole cancel, cancel culture thing, that when you stand up for what you believe, often you get verbally bashed for it. Or you get put down and ridiculed, saying, how can you believe those sort of things? Instead of, you know, if you disagree with somebody's beliefs, you know, they should accept what you believe. There seems to be a bit of an intensity of the contempt and hatred that comes along now when you disagree with somebody. And particularly when you bring the gospel into things. And Jesus warned of this. In Matthew 10, verses 16 to 23, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sakes to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And then in um, John 15, he said in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were not of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
if they kept my word, they, they will also keep yours. We're not to be surprised if people in the world hate Christians. I read this quote of Matthew Henry's. He said, Whom Christ blesses, the world curses. The heirs of heaven have never been the darlings of this world. Since the old enmity was put between the seed of the woman and of the serpent, why did Cain hate Abel? Because Abel's works were righteous. I'm going to say something a little bit controversial maybe, if you've been reading all this. If you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. It's probably not a good advertisement for becoming a Christian. But Jesus said, the world is going to hate you. People are going to reject you and people are going to despise you. The teachings that we get sometimes today on, you know, prosperity, that you should have your best life now, you should have the greatest life going now. Well, I'm sorry, if this is my best life, it's a pretty low mark, really. I'm looking forward to my best life later. But these teachings are false. If we're truly following Jesus, he says you're going to have trouble in your life. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to face persecution. And I wonder if our lives are easy, and I say this to myself, if our lives are easy, are we actually following his command to go forth and witness and preach the gospel? If we have an easy life, are we really following in his footsteps? Because Jesus didn't turn away from those who opposed him, but he confronted them face on. He was prepared to go into the synagogue and into the temple and turn over the money tables and actually confront the rulers and say, you're doing the wrong thing. When God's at work, Satan will be active. When we're trying to do something for God, Satan's going to be active and he's going to be against us. That doesn't mean we go out and try and seek persecution. Don't go, hey, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go and be obnoxious so that I get persecuted. The world doesn't need any more annoying Christians. The world needs more faithful Christians to preach the gospel. And when we do, as we see here, things can get nasty. Suddenly Paul learned of this plot that, hang on, they're out to get me. These rulers, these Jews have stirred up people and they're going to come and try and kill me now. So he said, nah, time to get out of here, time to run. Sometimes it's good to flee. In the face of persecution, sometimes it's good to get out of there. Particularly if you're going to stand up in a fight, you can't win. Which I think is what Paul knew. He knew there was no hope of winning. So he moved on. Shook the dust from off his feet and said, nah, I'm out of here, I've done all I can here. We're going to move on. And moved on to the city of Lystra. And they started preaching in the marketplace there and there's that story of the man that they healed. That miraculous healing that took place to prove to the people of the power of God. And all of a sudden the people of the city put them up on a pedestal and said, the gods have come down to us. The gods have taken human form and come down. 
And Paul and Barnabas said, whoa, whoa, no, hang on. That's not us. We're just like you. We're just people like you, but God's working through us. And just to take a little side note, it's, a, it's something that I take as a warning, that when we're actually doing something for God and when we're actually preaching the gospel and we're being faithful and results happen and wonderful things are being done and people say, oh, you're doing this great work for God, be careful not to take all the credit for ourselves. Paul and Barnabas could have easily gone, yeah, yeah, this is wonderful. People are worshipping us. They're going to give us all these gifts. It's all great. We're going to take all the glory. But no, they said, well, no, we're just like you. We're not going to take that. They gave God all the glory and told the people, we're flawed just like you. And told them to turn from idols instead of making them idols. And then all of a sudden it goes from, here they are being put up on this pedestal and talk about losing a crowd. They lost this one pretty quick because they go from being worshipped as gods and then suddenly Paul's taken out of the, well, taken into the city and stoned. What happened all of a sudden? The gospel again caused division. And the people followed them who'd been trying to get them before at Iconium and said, right, we're going to get them here. And this time Paul couldn't get away. And he got taken out and he got stoned. There's a lesson that I want to draw out of this is what happened or what Paul said about what happened to him and how he persevered through the persecution. If you read this story, you can sort of gloss over it a bit because it says, oh yeah, he went out, he got stoned, they took him out of the city, left him for dead and the disciples came around, gathered around and Paul stood up and walked back into the city and moved on somewhere else. You actually stop and think about what happened for a minute and actually get a picture in your mind of it. Pam and I have been watching the... um, the series The Chosen, well she's watched more than me, I haven't had time lately, but when you actually see things in a visual way like that, it has a really big impact, because we can read all the stories in the gospel and say, oh yeah, all that happened, but when you see it enacted, you actually realise, you get into the position of people and see what happened. So if we stop for a minute and see what happens to Paul here, it's like, he's dead. They've taken him out and left him for dead. And these people come around and gather around them and I wonder if they were, you know, mourning or they're praying or what they're doing. They're saying, Paul's dead, this is terrible, this is horrible. And then all of a sudden Paul stands up and walks back into the city. It's like, hang on, you look like you were just about dead and it's not like, it doesn't seem like he just groggily got up and went, oh, what, what just happened? and took a while to compose himself, it sounds like he just stood up and walked in as if nothing had happened. It's a miraculous healing. When you're being faithful to God, he will look after you. And that's what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy. Um, And just as an interesting side note, this happened in the city where Timothy grew up, so it's possible that Timothy even witnessed what happened. And Paul wrote to him and said, You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings 
that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul could look back after the fact and say, yes, all this terrible stuff happened, but the Lord rescued me. He didn't get out of it himself. It took a power greater than him to rescue him out of what happened. And in 1 Peter um, chapter 4, Peter says there, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Paul could have easily tapped out, couldn't he? <clears throat> He's escaped being stoned once and he goes, I'm not putting myself in that position again. He could have said, they're going to get me a second time, so I'm, yeah, nah, there's no chance I'm going to go back in here. And if I do it a third time, you know, it's really unlucky. I'm just done. I'm gone. But Paul remained faithful. He's just been stoned and he didn't go, no, nah, I'm giving up. I'm going home. That's it. I'm done. No more missionary journeys for me. God can deal with this, this himself. He turned around and actually went back to where he'd come from and walked right back into the cities that had done him in the first time around. And he went back through Iconium again and back through Antioch. He didn't finish the job. He said, you know, I've got unfinished business. I could go back to these cities and face the same persecution but he concerned himself about the people that he'd just brought to Christ and he was prepared to put himself in harm's way for these new converts. When we preach the gospel to somebody, it's not about just getting somebody over the line and saying, right, you're a Christian, you're on your own now. Paul said, you know, I'm going to walk beside these people because these people were probably facing persecution in the cities themselves. He said, I'm going to walk past, walk alongside them. And he said, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going with what God's called me to do. This might all sound a bit depressing, mightn't it? That, you know, we're going to have to deal with persecution. You're going to have all this stuff come at you. You say, well, what on earth do I want to become a Christian for? My life's a lot easier without becoming a Christian. Well, Paul said, it's actually worth it. It's worth going through this tribulation. He said in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, just not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces character and character produces hope and it brings endurance. It has a result. How do we actually get through tribulation? We can say, oh yeah, that's great, it's going to give me, it's going to be character building. Well, yeah, I'm not sure I want to have my character built that way. So how do we actually look forward and look through tribulation? Well, I believe that Jesus is our hope in tribulation. Jesus said to his disciples in, um, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is our hope in the midst of tribulation, because he went through so much more than we're ever going to go through in our life. Yes, he faced persecution and opposition on the, from you know, people in the world, but he also took it, our sins upon himself. And he faced the ultimate judgment and went through all that so that we can have life. If you're not a Christian today and you don't believe in Jesus and you look at Christians and say, why on earth do Christians around the world go through all this stuff? Why do they deal with all this stuff? It's because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the one who gives us strength to be able to carry on each day. You know, life is tough enough without Jesus. So having him gives us strength. And Paul, we read here at the end of this chapter, that he went and encouraged the disciples and encouraged the followers to that you're going to go through tribulation, but to remain together. And that the way to get through hard times is not to isolate and withdraw, but to gather together and to support each other. Yes, the Christian life might be hard at times, but we can get through it together with Jesus and each other because there's a reward at the end of it all. It's not pointless. The Christian life is not pointless. Jesus said in Matthew um, chapter 15, I think it is, I left a number out on the PowerPoint. Blessed are those who persecute who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward is in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice when you're persecuted, because your reward is in heaven. Our reward's not a good life now. Our reward is the life to come, being with Jesus. And we know there's a security in that. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 38, Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep. To be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. So I asked the question I started with, who's up for a bit of persecution? Because we're secure. What's, and I wonder if Paul had this thought, what's the worst that people can do to me? Huh, they might kill me. Well, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. I wonder, as Christians, do we cling on to life too, a bit too tightly? Yes, we enjoy life, but the life that comes much better than now. And we're secure. So when we face trials, when we face difficulties, when we face tribulation, we need to remember to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's perseverance, isn't it? He endured the cross because he looked forward and he saw us. So if Jesus was prepared to suffer that much for us, surely we should be able to suffer a little bit for him and be prepared to give up our life for him when he gave up his life for us. There's security and safety in Jesus. Nothing can take us away from him and the blessing that comes from that. Perhaps if the worship team likes to come up, we're just going just gonna to close with a song. But we go back to that quote at the start. Persecution never stopped the church from going, from growing. It usually got them going. Are we going or are we stopped? Are we happy with where we are and say, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any difficulties in my life. I'm just going to sit in my little corner and be glad I'm a Christian. Or are we going to be like Paul and Barnabas and say, no, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to be faithful to the call to preach the gospel in spite of the persecution that comes. People might hate me. People might ridicule me. But I'm going to put my flag in the ground and say, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to be faithful to his word. Do your worst. Let's just be encouraged today to be faithful and persevere through persecution. Persecution.